SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. on Sports Grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. This hour is just a slew of sports. We're going to get through college football futures. We've got the NFL preseason games we're going to preview. Nesson and Fox Sports, Sam Panayanovic, is going to join us a little bit later to help us do all of that. He's also a Chicago native, so he'll talk about the Field of Dreams again in case you missed our discussion earlier in the first hour. We do have some NBA updates. It was big news in the last 24 hours. The Los Angeles Clippers get back their all-star in Kawhi Leonard. He signs a four-year deal, which I did not see coming. I'm sure the torn right ACL has played a factor in Kawhi just keeping himself secure in his positioning. It's a huge deal, though, amongst one of the most high-paid players this upcoming season. Kawhi, a four-year deal, $176.3 million to return to the Clippers. Now the Clippers have him and Paul George signed through the next four years. 2024-2025 is the year that both of them have an option. Ben, how big was this for the Clippers to lock Kawhi in for at least another three, four years? Well, I think it's a very interesting discussion because Kawhi opted out initially to maybe see what he could get in return from the Clippers, but because of that knee injury and the fact that he might miss a good majority of his upcoming 2021-22 NBA season, I don't think the open market would have been all that favorable to Kawhi, who is still one of the best players when healthy in all of the NBA. So he obviously stays with L.A., but the question is, how much of Kawhi will we see next year? Because Kawhi has been a guy throughout his career that as great as he is on the basketball court when it has come to injuries there have been some questionable circumstances around him you think back to the shoulder injury towards the end of his time in San Antonio even this knee injury it was weird throughout the postseason the Clippers kept saying there might be a chance Kawhi plays there might be a chance he plays but he had a partially torn ACL that required surgery so a little bit interesting there the dynamics of how much we might see Kawhi Leonard this upcoming year for the Clippers which makes it even more interesting to see where the Clippers are, Ariel, in the futures market right now because they are 20-1 to 1 to win the NBA championship, which is pretty good down the board. They started out prior to NBA free agency at 13-1. to 1. Now 20-1 to 1 with some negative regression, and teams like the Suns and the Jazz and the Sixers have all moved ahead of them on that NBA futures board to win next year's NBA championship. But yet, they're 20-1 to 1 to win the NBA championship, but they are tied for the second shortest odds at 5-1 to one to win the Western Conference. So something there, Ariel, doesn't quite add up. And I can't figure out why just yet. It's because Kawhi Leonard probably just not going to play so much this year. 20-1 to one to win the championship, 5-1 to one to win the West. It's still the third best odds. Kawhi's not going to be active for much of the regular season. You look to the MVP market. Kawhi's name's not even listed amongst all the other players because he's probably not going to play enough. Playing time is so crucial not only for the season-long futures, but also for the MVP market. Even just look to the first year for the Rookie of the Year award. Zion Williamson, even though he had an amazing second half of the year, didn't play the entire of the first half. That's why he didn't end up winning the award his rookie season. 
Kawhi Leonard not going to be up there for that MVP unless he makes some kind of miraculous comeback. According to Dr. David Chow, ProFootballDoc.com, this injury is going to keep Kawhi out until close to the playoffs. That's why you're seeing these odds so long on the Clippers. How much can Paul George step up and be the team leader, be the only player out of the two All-Stars to be out there and help the Clippers get to a good seating in the future uh, in the future for the NBA. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience. Second hour here on the morning after. Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mighty Air 1090 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Kawhi averaged just under 25 points per game, 6.5 rebounds, just over 5 assists, and 52 regular season games played. Ben, when you see what the Clippers looked like in the regular season, even the beginning of the playoffs when Kawhi was there, then comparing it to what the Clippers looked like without Kawhi down the stretch of the postseason, what were the differences that you saw out of the Clippers? I mean, they actually had a little bit of a more free-flowing offense when Kawhi Leonard was out there. And obviously, Mr. June, Reggie Jackson, took over and stepped up in a huge way. But there's a certain cap, a limitation on what that Clippers team can do in terms of making a long run in the postseason without Kawhi Leonard. We could see a thing where Kawhi misses most of the regular season. If the Clippers are in contention, they bring him back for the postseason. But again, I'm looking through this market right now. 5-1 5-1 to one to win the Western Conference. Tied with the Warriors for the second shortest odds. The Lakers are the favorite at plus 195. But the Clippers are ahead in the Western Conference market of the Utah Jazz, who are plus 650, the Phoenix Suns, who are plus 850, and the Denver Nuggets, who are 10-1 to one at plus 1,000. But then when you look at the NBA championship market, the Clippers are actually behind the Warriors, behind the Jazz, behind the Suns, and tied with the Nuggets at 20 to 1. So better odds than two teams that are ahead of them in the NBA championship market to win the West. Something about those markets don't exactly correlate because if you think the Clippers have the second best odds to win the Western Conference, then you would assume they have a very good opportunity to get to the NBA Finals and to win an NBA championship. Yet they are behind the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns, tied with the Denver Nuggets. Those those three teams that I mentioned, the Jazz, the Suns, and the Nuggets, all behind where the Clippers are in the Western Conference odds. Something about that doesn't necessarily correlate. We don't have John Sheeran on the show today, unfortunately, to ask him that very question. But just an interesting look when you look at the futures market right now for next year's NBA season. And looking at the Western Conference odds, it's the Lakers, the Warriors, and the Clippers. The Lakers way ahead of everyone else, plus 195 to win the West. The Warriors and the Clippers are tied at 5-1, to and then the Utah Jazz at plus 650. Still looking at the Denver Nuggets at 10-1. to 1. Denver is going to be much better now that they'll get their leading scorer, Jamal Murray, back. Plus, you have the MVP, Nikola Jokic. I could see the Denver Nuggets being the sleeper team here at 10-1, to 1, even just making the Western Conference Finals and hedging. Everyone's going to be on the Golden State Warriors. It just makes sense. The question is, is this actually the year that they get healthy again? You're listening here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. We're going to go to football. Coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back 
back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We've been playing this match betting game where we set up a few teams, add up their win totals, and see if they can add up to what a better team in the conference's win total would be. Now, we were usually taking the team that was the best team in the conference, which would have about 11 wins, and comparing it to two teams that are a little bit at the bottom, or pretty much at the bottom of these conferences. Now, Ben has decided to change it up, and he's adding four teams. Two plus two equals four. Don't argue with me. It's true. And I now have to do more math, so it's annoying. But anyway, Arizona State, is at nine wins. UCLA has a win total of seven. So add those together and you got 16. That versus USC plus eight or eight and a half wins, Utah eight and a half wins. So basically, who's going to have more combined wins, Arizona State and UCLA or USC and Utah? Ben, I'm giving you the floor. Where are you going here? I'm getting crazy, Ariel. It's Friday, so we're you switching are. it up a little bit. You're right. We were using top like versus bottom. But now we're... I know, but now we're just getting nuts. We're still having fun with the match bet making we are doing here, the matchmakers we have become in college football and NFL for these fun props and team win totals as you get ready for the college football season. But the way that we are doing this right now for the Pac-12 is we are pretty much going to decide who is going to win those divisions. And this one is the Pac-12 South shakedown because we have the four teams in contention for a Pac-12 South division that is really a toss-up, as everybody assumes, heading into this 2021 Pac-12 college football season. So we start looking at the teams on the left, Arizona State and UCLA. Arizona State's team win total is nine. So when you look at the nine that Arizona State has, the juice is even on both sides, minus 110 to both. UCLA is the same for their team win total of seven. Now when you look at the Pac-12 overall, to win the Pac-12 South Division, Arizona State and USC are both 2-1. to one. Utah is plus 250. UCLA, the longest of this group, but so the fourth shortest at plus 750. So going back to the team win totals, we look at Arizona State first. A tough conference schedule for the Sun Devils. Pretty easy in the non-conference. I think they go unbeaten there, but they have to go on the road to UCLA and Utah, Pac-12 South opponents, and then they have to go on the road to Washington, a crossover with the North Division. They do get USC at home, but it is a tough conference schedule for Arizona State. UCLA probably has the toughest schedule of all four teams we will mention in the Pac-12 South. Their non-conference against Hawaii is an interesting game. We'll get to that line because it was locked on FanDuel yesterday, and also LSU. That's a pretty tough contest to start out your year. Then when you look at UCLA after that, they get both Washington and Oregon and the crossover with the Pac-12 North, the two best teams by far in the North Division. Then UCLA has to go on the road to Utah, on the road to USC. I see at least five or six losses for this UCLA Bruins team and Chip Kelly. Listen, they have a lot of talent. Dorian Robinson-Thompson is a great quarterback, but still... This is a very, very difficult schedule. So I think UCLA goes under their team win total of seven, putting them at six. I think Arizona State is right around that number of nine, but I actually might lean the under just based on some of their tough crossover matchups within the Pac-12 and the fact they have to go on the road at UCLA and at Utah. So not a great start for the Sun Devils and the UCLA Bruins, Ariel. I have them possibly at most... 15 as we compare them to USC and Utah, which I can get into. But what are your thoughts about how I break down Arizona State and UCLA? 
Arizona State, my only concern about them is that they have a lot of recruiting allegations against them currently where there's mm. research being done and maybe that could lead to losing some games or even getting suspended. That's my concern with any kind of action on Arizona State this year. How concerned are you about the allegations? Well, I don't think anything will surface that will affect them this year in terms of what they do on the playing field, but there are some distractions. ASU has had to let go of two coaches in the past two weeks because of some of these recruiting allegations. There have been some pretty damning reports about Herm Edwards and what he has done in Tempe, Arizona, especially in the COVID year when you weren't allowed to have kids on campus. And there have been some stories out there that ASU was breaking a ton of rules having like sneaky secret trips of recruits coming mm -hmm. onto campus. Some really bad things might be headed the Sun Devils way. So you bring up a great point. Even if it doesn't affect their wins this year, it might as you go back in the record books or it just could be this black cloud hanging over a team that is supposed to contend for the Pac-12 South Divisional title. Yeah. Absolutely so. And Jaden Samuels, ASU's quarterback, is great. And there's a lot of talent there. But there's going to be a lot of focus on this Arizona State team. Are they ready to live up to those expectations? I think you bring up a great point, Ariel. Yeah, that's my concern there. And they host USC in early November, which is good for them, considering they get that game at home, which uh, makes – I know you haven't gotten into USC yet. Chip Kelly has been such a disappointment for UCLA. You alluded to it earlier. He's 10-21 and 21 in his three years. And the difference between that and his run at Oregon, it's just night and day. And this UCLA team, they return 20 starters, and they have the most experienced quarterback in the league, as you mentioned, too. It's just why am I going to put faith into a team that hasn't given me any reason to believe in them that's why i'm fading this right. ucla team usc and utah are the two interesting ones utah's that team ben that we had the director of training at fandle john sheeran on the show they moved at fandle utah up more than they did for any other team in any other conference utah has moved the most to win its own conference here in the back 12 since the beginning of the season the preseason when these odds first came out what is it about utah that may intrigue you Utah is going to be that team that I think surprises some people. Maybe not the folks at the FanDuel Sportsbook, but when you look at the names like USC and UCLA and the Pac-12 South, they are going to garner the attention. If the quarterback, the transfer from Baylor for Utah can be good, Charlie Brewer, who is a guy that John Sheeran highlighted, when he said Charlie Brewer, I was blown away. If Charlie Brewer can stay healthy and orchestrate that offense, there are some pieces in place. Look out for Utah's tight end. And then on the other side, Utah's defense is always going to be very good under head coach Kyle Whittingham. This is going to be a very consistent team. So you look at Utah. Their team win total is 8.5. The over has the juice at minus 120. They do have Oregon on the schedule in a tough crossover matchup. But they get ASU, Arizona State, and UCLA at home. I think Utah's in a pretty good position to go over their team win total of 8.5. Then when you look at the USC Trojans, also a team win total of 8.5. The under has the juice at minus 120. USC's schedule is easier. Their crossovers with the North are super easy. Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon State. They don't get Oregon. They don't get Washington. That is a blessing for Clay Helton and company in Southern California. And then you look at their non-conference schedule outside of Notre Dame. It's really not that difficult. So I think USC, although the under has the juice, they can go over their team win total. So in this comparison, USC and Utah, the favorites coming in, are going to have a better combined team win total than UCLA and Arizona State. I love it. Utah probably going to be favored in 11 games. The only obvious game they'd be an underdog in would be at USC. So if you look at it that way, 
then these teams have a better shot probably at combining for more wins. We only have a couple of minutes left, but Oregon, Washington, Oregon, nine wins, Washington, eight and a half. Who's going to have more wins at the end of the regular season? So Oregon has more in their team win total at nine, Washington at eight and a half, but the juice on this would say it's close. It's the same on both sides for Oregon. The over for Washington is juice to minus 130. Oregon has a much more difficult schedule. Ohio State week number two, crossovers at UCLA and at Utah, and then the Ducks have to go to Seattle to play at Washington. Washington also has a Big Ten opponent week number two in Michigan, but that's an easier test than taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes. They also get UCLA and Arizona State in the crossovers, but unlike Oregon, those games are at home. So I think that game between Oregon and Washington later on in the season will decide the winner of the Pac-12 North. If I'm looking at it right now, based on the favorable schedule for the Huskies, I take Jimmy Lake in Washington. That could be a team to know in the Pac-12 North. Also, a freshman quarterback to know, Sam Heward, who is a recruit coming into Seattle in a big way. If things don't work out early, Sam Heward could get some snaps. This Washington team could win nine or ten games in the Pac-12 North. Washington also doesn't face USC or Utah this year. You mentioned Michigan being the easier Big Ten matchup than Oregon having to face Ohio State in Week 2. No, thank you. I would say Washington as well. I'd say about 9-10 wins is what I could see Washington having. Oregon, 8 or 9. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We went from calling Ben Big Ten Ben to Public Ben. Whoa. Now I'm going to call him Whoa. Preseason Ben because Ben is just in love with betting preseason football. I'm giving you the floor first. What's your favorite game to look forward to either tonight or this weekend in the NFL preseason? All right, so we have three NFL preseason games tonight. I love handicapping the NFL preseason. At least I love it so far because I have picked two games. Both have gone correctly for me. I'm riding a hot streak. I feel like I have a handle on this. It could all come crashing down this weekend. 14 games, three of which get underway tonight. My attention tonight first goes to the highest total of all preseason week number one games, and that would be the Cowboys and the Cardinals tonight. As you look at this game, on the spread, the Cardinals a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home in the desert tonight. The total is 39-and-a-half. Again, the largest total out of every preseason game we have here for week number one. That actually came down by the hook, though, from 40 to 39-and-a-half. Now, Arizona had the fourth best, 14th best excuse me, scoring offense last year, the sixth best total offense last year. But tonight... Colt McCoy will be getting the majority of the reps. He is the backup in Arizona now. Kyler Murray, I think, will play a couple of series, but we're not going to see him out there for all that long as I don't expect to see a lot of the offensive weapons for the Cardinals out there for all that long and DeAndre Hopkins or A.J. Green. So Colt McCoy will be running the show against his home state team in the Dallas Cowboys. I like the NFL experience. So if we're talking side, I'm leaning towards the Cardinals. But as we look at that number, again, 
despite the fact that Colt McCoy might be out there, despite the fact that Arizona is a really good offense who we expect prolific numbers from again this year, 39 and a half is just too darn high for an NFL preseason game week number one. I know some of the averages would go over that number, but as Ariel gave us the stat yesterday, for preseason games since 2010, if the total is 37 or more, it hits to the under about 57% of the time. And then you look on the other side to the Dallas Cowboys. And again, we have a small sample size on the Cowboys because of that Hall of Fame game two weeks ago. And now when you think about that Hall of Fame game and you think about the three quarterbacks the Dallas Cowboys are going with, Garrett Gilbert, Ben DiNucci, and Cooper Rush. Do any of those guys think like they're going to add up a bunch to hit that total of 39 and a half to the over? I don't necessarily think so. And when you look at that first game, Garrett Gilbert, 9 to 13, 104 yards, fine. Ben DiNucci, 7 to 17, 89 yards, an interception, not so good. Cooper Rush, 8 of 13, 70 yards. We're going to see some of the starters more tonight for Dallas than we did in the Hall of Fame game. But still, I don't think they're going to get to this total of 39 and a half. So my favorite play of tonight and maybe the weekend is the under of the Cardinals and Cowboys total tonight of 39 and a half. I can't even take Ben DiNucci seriously anymore because between him and Trace McSorley, they're two TikTok sensations. My brother, who's 14, is obsessed with both of them. All he does is sing the songs, and he goes, Ben DiNucci, I can't do it. Anytime he's on the field, not serious. Okay, I'm not going to place a bet on any of these games tonight because I don't really like them. And the problem with a lot of the times when you do these gambling shows is we like force picks. And I'm not going to force a pick upon myself if I don't like it. Instead, I'm going Mm. to give you a pick that I've been liking for quite some time. It's pretty public, yet I'm going to go with the Ravens. Minus 135 on the money line against the Saints. Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. This isn't a homer pick by any means. In fact, if you know me, you know I usually hedge my happiness and never bet on the Ravens. Here's why I'm betting them in the preseason. The Ravens haven't haven't lost a preseason game since 2015. Their head coach, John Harbaugh, has won 19 of his last 22 preseason games when playing at home. The Ravens are the best preseason team in football. Harbaugh was asked about it. He says he loves that they're that they are known as that because he says it's helped them be successful in September. Six and two in September in the last few years for the Ravens. And it's because they get ready in the preseason. All these other teams sit their starters and Harbaugh's against it. 17 game winning streak for the Ravens in the preseason and they're playing at home. I'm taking the Ravens money line minus 135 against the Saints, Ben. I mean, how could you pick against them? 17 straight preseason wins. The preseason. 17 straight dating back to 2015 that's absolutely incredible to think about honestly kind of blows your mind when you put that into perspective not even one game in the preseason when the starters didn't play as much and maybe the other side had to figure out some position battles and motivation is a key factor and anytime you're trying to do a handicapping if one side has to figure out who their quarterback's going to be or even the backup quarterback or maybe something along the offensive defensive lines it could run down the gamut so the fact that the ravens have won 17 straight in the preseason how could you pick against them at all for preseason week number one there's a couple of games i look to for the weekend but one more game tonight that i think is a pretty intriguing plus money price if you want to take them on the money line is the buffalo bills taking on the detroit lions the lions are at home they're a one and a half point favorite the total in this game is 36 and a half i mentioned buffalo on that money uh, on that money line rather at plus 105 it is the debut for dan campbell tonight the new head coach for the Detroit Lions. The Bills, the past two preseasons under Sean McDermott, 
six and two, including a perfect 4-0 stretch in 2019. Now, the new quarterback, the new backup, I should say, in Buffalo, because we know Josh Allen is the guy. He might play a series or two tonight. There hasn't been all that much indication on him. Mitch Trubisky, though, is the new backup in Buffalo. And yes, we can make our Trubisky jokes for his time in Chicago. I get that. But he's a proven backup with NFL experience, somebody you look to that if he's a backup taking on other reserves, you probably give the edge to the guy in Mitch Trubisky. He also feels very comfortable in Buffalo. He is happy to be there. He feels it's a good situation for him. I look to the Bills' depth on the offensive side of the ball, and I like what I see tonight. And especially up front, in their front seven on the defensive side of the ball, a couple of rookies up there that I think are going to make an impact right away. Gregory Rousseau, an outside edge rusher out of Miami. He was a guy that slipped down the draft board a little bit, probably trying to show out what he can do tonight. So I looked at Buffalo with a little bit better depth than than the Lions and think that on that money line, despite being on the road tonight at plus 105, I don't mind that or even against the spread with plus one and a half taking the points with the Buffalo Bills. It's another area I look tonight, although the Cardinals and Cowboys under is by far my favorite. I'm going with another game Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. The Jacksonville Jaguars minus 145 Mm. against the Browns. This number has moved so much in Jacksonville's favor. The Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski just announcing that he's not going to start his starters. It's going to be Case Keenum at quarterback instead of Baker Mayfield. And the Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer will not say Trevor Lawrence is their starting quarterback. He says he's still going up against Gardner Minshew for the starting job. That chose to me, Ben. These quarterbacks have to start dueling it out. They're going to have to play hard. And either way, both of them on the field having to play hard to prove that they have to be a starter this year. It makes me think, okay, the Browns have nothing to play for. Keenum knows he's not starting over Baker Mayfield. These quarterbacks both have a shot. It's I could see Gardner Minshew starting week one if Trevor Lawrence isn't getting adapted to this NFL playbook fast enough. Granted, would I bet that? Absolutely not. I do think that it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. But if you really do have a really bad preseason if you're Lawrence and you have a really good preseason if you're Minshew, you know that's Minshew's mindset right now, which is why no matter who it is at starting quarterback, I'd either take the Jags in the first half or I would even just take them on the money line minus 145. I mean, again, Urban, please start Gardner Minshew week number one and make that alternate team win total under four and a half at plus 240 seem even that much better. I would love for you to do that, Urban Meyer. I think it will be Trevor Lawrence as you do as well, Ariel, but you bring up a great point for the motivation in this preseason, and Gardner Minshew is going to go out there. Trevor Lawrence, a young quarterback still learning the NFL stage, is going to try to perform at his absolute best. So when you think about that, as much as I am fading the Jaguars in the regular season, I think the preseason is a great time for a younger team that has to figure things out under a first-year head coach as opposed to what sounds crazy to say, a more established Cleveland Browns roster that is pretty veteran-led throughout the entirety of their offense and defense. So, yeah, I look to the Jacksonville Jaguars here, and the line has flipped incredibly so in the Jags' favor. Another area I look with an interesting spread this weekend is tomorrow – And it's a game that Donnie Wrightside highlighted. It's a game I've been focusing on in this preseason slate for quite some time because the number opened up at six in favor of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it is stuck there at six. It is the largest spread all preseason week number one long. And I mean by a decent margin. The other biggest spread is three and a half. So you're talking about a spread that's up there by more than two and a half points to get to that six-point number in favor of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Joe Burrow likely not to play much, if at all, this preseason. But 
I have dove into the statistics of the backup in Cincinnati in Brandon Allen. Now, Brandon Allen has one preseason under his belt back in 2019. Played in all four games for the LA Rams, I believe it was. And he was pretty good. 64% completion percentage, averaging 108 yards per game. He went 2-2, two and two, or his teams went 2-2 two and two in that 2019 preseason. So when you're diving into the backup quarterback statistics of a preseason number in 2019, yes, you're going to back the Bengals, taking the points, plus six against the Bucks team that returns all of their starters from last year from that Super Bowl winning team. They have nothing to prove this preseason. They're not going to be doing anything out there. Give me the young, hungry team in the Bengals that need to make a good impression for their head coach and Zach Taylor right away. I'll take the Bengals. Also, another area I look, Ariel, the total for the Packers and Texans game, it's at 34 and a half. Sure, the averages would go over that number. Everything says go over that number. But I don't know how the Texans without Deshaun Watson, who's not even making the trip to Green Bay, or the Packers, who are not going to play their starters, especially Aaron Rodgers, how they get up to this number of 34 and a half. I would take the under of that between the Packers and the Houston Texans. Also, speaking of the Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson finally lashing out at reporters. Reporters were taking videos of him every day. Watson says yesterday, what are you doing? I'm doing the same thing every day. Why do you keep videoing me? Deshaun, you know. You know why. You know. We're going to. What? He knows why. I mean, he knows. Like, come on. Of course. And that's why it's okay, Deshaun. Let's just simmer down here. You're the fourth quarterback on the deck. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 204, with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us, Nesson and Fox Sports, Sam Panayanovich. We're going to break down what's been going on out there in that New England area. Sam, thanks for joining us this morning. Great to be back. I wish I was still drunk celebrating that walk-off by Tim Anderson last night over your Yankees. Very exciting game. If you had the under, reconfigure whatever you thought. Eight home runs last night, and... Uh, If you would have bet a person like Eloy Jimenez or Aaron Judge or Jose Abreu or Giancarlo Stanton, I mean, these guys, you could find these guys at 250, 3 to 1 to hit a homer. If you were a homer prop player last night, you probably made some coin. And that's what I said frustrated me too, Sammy. And by the way, Sam's from Chicago. If you saw batting practice, according to Joe Buck, you would have seen that the balls were flying out of there yesterday. I just didn't know how to really cap the ballpark because we've never seen major leaguers play there. Going forward, how much of an over game is this going to be since they are going to go back there? I got a text yesterday from a guy who doesn't gamble. He's from Iowa and out of nowhere. You know, when you get texts like this from people that don't gamble, you're always like, hmm. He texts me, he goes, this is going to be 10 to 9. He goes, if you play in the corn, in the heat, the ball flies. And I'm thinking, all right, now this guy's a handicapper, you know. And he, it turns out he couldn't have been more right. So I, I don't know that we have a big enough sample size 
And, of course, it depends on the pitchers, too. I mean, you know, let's go two years down the road and there's another cornfield game and it's Jacob DeGrom against Aaron Nola. I think it might be a little bit different. Um, we did see, though, you know, if you leave balls up in the zone there, they just they get cooked. Um, and Liam Hendricks gave up a couple. He left a couple balls middle in, middle high, and uh, just, you know, got roasted in that ninth inning. So, I, I mean, until further notice, I guess we have to lean over. But every situation is different. I just I thought that was a roller coaster. And how about if you were betting that game live? If you would have bet the Yankees live, you probably could have got them at, you know, 10 or 12 to 1, down 7 to 3. Probably felt pretty good <laughs> leading eight to seven, and then you could have bet the White Sox live. That game was a roller coaster, and I think Ariel, you said it on uh, social media. You know, a great night for baseball. They stole the show. The game was well produced. It looked gorgeous. Kevin Costner comes out. Um, it was amazing. It was a great spectacle. The second game this year in Major League Baseball with multiple go-ahead home runs in the same ninth inning. And Sam, like you mentioned, eight home runs, sixteen of the seventeen runs last night came via the long ball and they are also talk about that corn fed humidity maybe something to know if we go back to Dyersville but also last night Sam a team that you cover closely the New England Patriots making their preseason debut this year you had Mac Jones out there Cam Newton out there what was your biggest overall takeaway from the Pats win over Washington how well they played defensively and this was something we had talked about for a couple days on ness and you know matt chatham's our football analyst and i always give credit where credit's due he said belichick all off season just stewed over defense you know they had some opt-outs last year on the defensive side of the ball they had some injuries and they really weren't good in the trenches on defense well what did they do in the off season they bring in guys that can stop the run kyle van noy matt judon um, you know, Josh Uche played really well last night. He got a little banged up at the end. But across the board, not just the first unit, second unit, even the third unit, they looked like they were ready to rock on defense. And they brought the urgency. They brought the energy. You know, Washington had, what, seven points with two minutes to go? That's what you take from that. Um, you know, New England's not equipped to beat Kansas City in a shootout. I think every team in the AFC is trying to catch up to them in some way, shape, or form. It's clear the model in New England is to beef up the offensive line, which they did, get big tight ends that can protect the quarterback and Smith and Henry, although Henry might only play six games like he always does, and then solidify the defensive front and stopping the run. This is probably going to be, until further notice, an under team for the first couple weeks of the season. And as you look at you know, the week one line against Miami, open 46, down to 45. I, that game, to me, I know we're a while away. That game has 20 to 17 written all over it. The Patriots are going to run the rock. They're going to stop the run on defense. It won't be pretty football, but that's the way that they're going to win this year. They're not going to win games in the 30s. They're going to win games low and slow by controlling the clock and controlling the line of scrimmage. And that was the most impressive thing last night. For the Patriots, after last year, first year without their quarterback, Tom Brady, it's plus 126 for year two without Brady and under Cam Newton, maybe even some Mac. Uh, you've got some Mac Jones. But when you come to Cam Newton at starting quarterback and a plus 126 for the playoff odds, how much would you be willing, Sammy, to jump in on the plus 126? I'm actually going to, to bet it today. I'm going to put it out on chicken dinner. I think, you know, that number, and FanDuel does have the best number in the market at plus 126. Uh, some other competitors have plus 110, plus 15. So FanDuel's doing you a solid there at plus a quarter and then a penny. Um, 
you know, Cam Cam also was pretty hobbled last year. You know, he had shoulder surgery. He wasn't wasn't well protected, didn't have a lot of playmakers. Um, you know, Belichick has done a pretty good job of sort of correcting the mistakes that that roster had. And and let's be real, you know, that's the reason Brady left, because he saw the offense was declining. All his buddies were either out of town or retired. Uh, the line was getting old, but they've really, in the last two off seasons, they've sort of rebuilt this offense around power run and play action. So, I, you know, I do think the way they're coached, um, the way that these guys are developed, and not to mention, you know, I'm shorting Miami. I think Miami was good last year because the Patriots sucked. So there should be some regression in both ways. You know, Miami going down, New England going back up a bit. That They have all the talent to be a 10, maybe 11 win team. I don't know if they can contend with the big boys. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to get crazy. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this was a playoff team. Um, you know, there's probably seven or eight that I like in the AFC to make the playoffs. Indianapolis is banged up with Wentz and Nelson. I'm not high on Pittsburgh. I'm not high on Miami, like I said. Denver doesn't have Aaron Rodgers. So all these teams we thought in the offseason might make a push, they're all sort of swatted away now. So New England can definitely make the postseason, and that's a pretty good price. I'm going to do it at plus 126. Sam, I think Cam Newton will be the starter come week number one for the New England Patriots. But we set this line on the show yesterday, and I would love your thoughts. Mac Jones will be the starter for the Patriots by week number four and a half. Are you taking the over or the under of that line we set? Well, you guys know what you're doing here. That's exactly what I would have made the number. I I just don't think you want any part of Mac Jones going up against Tom Brady for his first game. I don't know what the benefits are. You know he's going to be starstruck. You know he's probably not going to play well in that game. Uh, I did see a look-ahead number, uh, Tampa Bay minus four at New England. That number seems... Mm. Kind of high. Um, if you go back to a game the Bucks lost last year in Chicago, very similar situation. And, and we know Brady doesn't give a damn in the first month of the season. But back to your question, Ben. Yeah, I, I think maybe week, if he does make a change, which I think he should, I think it's in that second month of the season, uh, you know, week seven, week eight, around that area. That's what I would do. The kid did look pretty poised and pretty composed last night. You know, he didn't take a lot of shots. He made a great throw in the end zone that was dropped by his receiver, Wilkerson. He was dinking and dunking, but that's, you know, it's a different offense. They're really running two offenses. With Cam, it's one way. With Mac, it's the other. They're running RPO and spread stuff. They don't do that with Cam because Cam can't throw a five-yard pass. You know, Cam, Cam's better for 30 yards than he is for five. So if it's about accuracy and spreading the field, eventually the Patriots will recognize that Mac Jones gives them the best chance to win. But I don't think Bill's in any rush to make this kid start before he has to. Nesson and Fox Sports, Sam Panianovich here with us on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sammy, when it comes to the futures market in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs would have to make the Super Bowl for a third straight year. How much do you see another team coming out of the AFC this year? Well, I've done this the last two years with Kansas City. I've bet them before the year to win the Super Bowl at like 6-5-1. and five to one. And you know, I made money one year and could have hedged the second year, but I went for a throat like a moron. I didn't take Tampa Bay, but it is what it is. You're still up money with that theory. I don't hate that again. I mean, they're the most talented offense in the game, um, and, and hopefully that line stays healthy. But if you're talking about you know teams that are a little down the page in the AFC, um, Buffalo, I, I'm sorry, I, like I like them, but not at that price. Baltimore, they're beatable. We've seen that in the postseason. Skip the Browns, skip the Titans. Give me the Chargers. You can find them, you know, to win the AFC. I think Fandle's got 16 to one, which is pretty 
good as far as the market goes. Uh, one book has 17, but that's that's a solid price, 16 to 1. I was talking with John Murray at the Westgate. He thinks that Justin Herbert's going to be even better than he was last year. And I guess the, the reviews from camp, Chargers camp, are, are all solid. Defensively, they got some dudes on the D-line. That's a talented roster that just really hasn't been able to stay healthy. And here's the other thing. Here's why this team, like people talk about, oh, my power ratings. I power rate them up six points with Anthony Lynn out of the way. That guy was awful. That guy turned wins into losses. He turned losses into blowouts. He, he was a zero. Actually, he was a minus on the sidelines. So him being out of the way and like his fingerprints off the game plan, that's probably the most important part of the Charger offseason. That team is loaded on both sides of the ball and no Anthony Lynn. Chargers 16-1, to they can make the championship game. And if they do at that point, you could hedge and you can't really lose. The value on the L.A. Chargers, like you mentioned, Sam, they play a ton of close games without Anthony Lynn. We'll see how Brandon Staley does in that head coaching position. Now switching back to Major League Baseball, another team you follow closely in the Boston Red Sox. Now five games back in the American League East, still hold a two-game lead for that second and final AL wildcard spot. Sam, what do you make of the Red Sox chances here down the stretch of the regular season to get into the postseason? Man, do they look shell-shocked or what? Um, you know, and I think that game that they scored 20 runs on, what was that, Wednesday, that's more of an aberration than anything. I mean, they saved all their offense and their timely hitting for one game, and then they come out the next night and get walloped. Um, the story with them is that their starting pitching wasn't great early in the season, and guys weren't going deep. You know, guys were going five, five and a third, five and two thirds. And that bullpen in Boston was solid April, May, June. Well, you get into the middle and late end of July and early August, these guys are running on empty. That's the variant. That's the variant. The bullpen is no longer healthy, and these guys are burned out. And, you know, the timely hits have to come, but in all reality, you're looking at a starting rotation collectively that has one of the worst ERAs in baseball. And that's why bookmakers didn't really have that many high hopes for them. Their win total, you know, 79, 79 and a half. The doubts were around the pitching staff. And unless they find a couple arms, Tanner Houck's been okay, you know, in a couple starts. Uh, they brought him up from AAA. Chris Sale comes back tomorrow. Maybe those guys can, can save you. But it's a weird spot because they were in first place, you know, two weeks ago. And now they're five or six games out or whatever. So it's, it's been a, a plunge. And I, you know, I don't know. Like I've got the Red Sox five to one to win the AL East from late May. I don't feel good about it. Uh, the one team to pay attention to is Toronto. They were eighteen to one two weeks ago at the deadline. Seven to one now at its peak. And, and you know, rotationally, that's a team with Ryu, Barrios, Manoa, Ray. That's the best rotation in that division. The only question is, did they dig too deep of a hole? I, they got they got some way to go, but. That team is the most dangerous, I think, that nobody's talking about, really. The Toronto Blue Jays also have one of the hottest lineups in baseball. They are seven and a half games back of the American League East, but when it comes to the wild card, the Toronto Blue Jays are uh, up there. They're, oh, no, they're seven and a half games back also. So you've got a lot of room to make up, as Sammy mentioned, the hole that they dug themselves into. Um, so we'll see if things pan out for them. But Sammy... Sam Paniatovich, catch him at SP Shoot on Twitter and all over Nesson and Fox Sports. Thanks for coming on with us, and good luck to your bets this weekend. Good luck to you guys. I'll see you soon.
Thanks, Amy. We'll close that hour, too. Coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. XM. Closing out hour two here on the morning after on Sports Grid. It's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time now for our segment Guess the Line. Ben, bringing out your inner odds maker. Guess the line for the week mm. that Trey Lance is going to be named starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. So here's what I feel would be a pretty sharp line. I'm going to set it at week six and a half. And here's why. If you look at the 49ers schedule, their first five weeks of the year aren't all that difficult, especially the first two weeks of the year. They have the Lions on the road and then on the road at Philly. You would think with the Niners team, the favorite to win the NFC West, the third shortest odds to win the NFC could handle those two teams. But then they get the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals ending out before their bye week, week number six, with two NFC West clashes. Let's say those two games do not go their way. They get to the bye week, and then they might have to reevaluate. I think you could see Trey Lance maybe after that time, starting week number seven for San Francisco, a Sunday night football clash against the Indianapolis Colts. But we're going to set the line at six and a half. Pretty much saying, does Trey Lance start before the bye or after the bye? Will Jimmy hold on to this? So I'm going to say the line is six and a half. Ariel, are you thinking over or under of that line we just set? I'm going to Oh, this is rough because Garoppolo gets hurt all the time. Taking injuries out of it. Factor. I'd say over six and a half. Yet for Garoppolo, you never know if Jimmy G is going to be able to stay on the field for more than seven games. Injuries crushed this 49ers team last year, not just to Jimmy G, their tight end George Kittle, and a bunch of other factors as well. But we do have to close out hour number two here on the show. We have hour three, our happy hour coming up next. Tune into sportsgrid.com. Find out which platform works best for you as we sign off on MSG. You can check out multiple streaming services and on radio, Sirius XM, Channel 204, The Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We have two guests coming up in the next hour. Sanis from Numberfire, Yanni Freak live from Las Vegas, and we'll break down Major League Baseball lines. We'll see you up next.